Hello and welcome to Let's Be Honest. I'm Jess and this is the podcast where I talk about life's toughest topics with lots of different brilliant people. Today's episode is called Let's Talk About Sexuality. I'll be joined by Maytal Mizrahi, a creative television producer and transcendence enthusiast. We dive into a deep conversation about the spectrum of sexuality, how being a survivor impacts your outlook and what we can do together to create a healthier sexual world. Welcome to the show. Thank you for listening. Tell. Welcome to Let's Be Honest. Hey. How are you? Me. I'm good. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. We're actually recording in your beautiful home. Yeah. So thanks for letting us do that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so today's topic is sexuality. Mm-hmm. It's funny because, you know, you're, I think, episode number nine, mm-hmm. I think you are. And there's been a lot of hard, you know, heavy hitting topics, but this is the one I've actually had the most nerves about, mm. which is interesting. And I'm I'm intrigued to explore why I have felt nervous about it throughout our conversation. And obviously, I we haven't prepared any questions because this is like a really just free-flowing conversation, but I told you what the topic was going to be. Did you have any particular feelings about it before we sat down? I think when you first told me what it was going to be, it was honoured because it's a bit of a big topic. Mm-hmm. And then also, I think, like you, I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be the first time that I'm really talking about mm-hmm. it in a little bit more of a public Yeah, people are going to hear what I think about things. I think I felt nervous because I was like, okay, or my family is going to hear this or or Mm -hmm. I don't have control over who is going to hear it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the preface of the show is honesty and really holding space for a raw conversation to happen. This whole podcast is based on let's bring honesty and light to these really difficult conversations. And I Mm -hmm. think for a multitude of reasons, sexuality is a difficult thing for a lot of people to talk about. As I said, I'm interested to see maybe if this conversation helps me to figure out why I felt a bit nervous. Well, I think it's pretty interesting that we do have our shared nerves, probably Mm -hmm. from different aspects of it, but it's a broader reflection of how sexuality is impacted in as a society and also globally mm-hmm. right every country kind of has its own loose interpretations on what is acceptable and what isn't what's taboo yeah right but it just shows like as a people how repressed we are mm. from being able to express something that's so natural yeah you know you don't see animals in the wild when or we're even at the zoo right even in captivity and there are observers and people watching and they do whatever it is that they do mm. when they feel they have the need and urge to do it there's and no yet, shame no shame mm. no shame and they, and they really just operate from a very organic and natural space mm. and we as humans don't quite do that I'm sure yeah. that there are parts of the world that is a lot more liberated but you know in America and the UK it's definitely a lot more repressed and yeah. what's interesting too is because I grew up in two countries I grew up here and in Israel and in Israel it's a lot more free it's a really? lot more li- yeah it's a lot more liberated there wasn't really any censorship mm. in television and in any media So especially out and about when you see mothers nursing, you don't have women that are covering up. Mm. Really, everything is kind of out in the open. Out of a courtesy, you know, there's a sheet, so there's just this private moment between a mother and child. But, you know, you'd be out and about. And if a mother's nursing, a mother's nursing. Mm. You know, or if there's nudity in a movie or in some, in any other program that you see on TV, you don't see the blurred or mm. the box, the black box that we grew up with, or like the pixelation. Mm-hmm. It's just, okay, there's a breast, there's a nipple, there's a butt, there's a whatever. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't this shame around it because yeah. it's a natural thing. Yeah, I think as as a people, like you said, 
there is a lot of shame and embarrassment and I would say in the UK I mean people sort of stereotype the British people to be kind of like oh don't talk about that and I think with sexuality not with everybody because there are a lot of liberated people and especially in today's time there are a lot a lot more people that are talking about it openly and and not letting shame sort of cloud over the subject but definitely in British culture it's don't talk about it like especially with the older generations like I don't think that I could have ever sat down with my grandparents and even uttered the word sex or talked about any emotions behind it I think I wonder a lot about if there wasn't so much shame what would our world look like in terms of how we behave sexually because I mean it's a well-known fact that you know oppression leads to you know rebellious Mm -hmm. you know um so a lot of things that are in or under the umbrella of sexuality that our society deems devious or bad I wonder how much of that comes from people just kind of putting the finger up to oppression and saying well you're not gonna let me just be a balanced sexual person so I'm gonna go and sort of swing really far to the other side of the Uh, spectrum and that's not to say that anybody who enjoys things that are considered more taboo by society is doing it just to prove a point you know Mm -hmm. everybody has their likes and dislikes but I just mean as a general revolution of of feminism and and like women taking the word slut back you know here in LA there's a a person named Amber Rose and she Mm -hmm. uh, does this annual thing called the slut walk yeah and she was a stripper Mm -hmm. and she came from from a profession that's completely disrespected and and looked down upon and judged um you know well, that's no, a form of control right and no matter your feelings on it you can you know whether you're yeah. you know pro liberation of strippers or you think it's terrible everyone can agree that you know it's a disrespected profession and she turned around and she really pushed this narrative of we're going to take the word slut back it's been used against us as a sex in a derogatory way and we're going to champion for awareness of the need to believe victims and for women to be allowed to be any type of sexual that they want to be and to not feel this oppression so I just think it's interesting how that narrative is sort of being taken back to add on to that if you break down sexuality and just look at what it represents and what it is sex and sexual pleasure I mean sexuality to me is a physical expression of pleasure Mm -hmm. however that comes right because if you break it down with food right there's certain things that I enjoy eating that you wouldn't enjoy and vice versa I mean you see it with veganism and some people kind of have their own perspectives on it and some people think that you know vegans need to calm down and some people find it um admirable Mm -hmm. I think it's the same thing with sex and your sexual preference I mean who is one to dictate how do you find physical pleasure and joy over somebody else right you know it's it's taste Mm. same thing as something that you eat it's edible it's a preference it's a taste and also how do we determine for the example just to go back to the example of food because it's pretty universal and I don't think anybody can be um, too far off from that so if you go back to the example of food how do we develop our taste Mm. how do we decide what it is that we enjoy eating or not it's until we explore yeah right and people are so afraid to explore I think in today's society 
you know, for our generation, we have such a vast terminology and openness Mm -hmm. to an idea that I don't think our parents or grandparents had. You know, I remember having um, a conversation with my grandmother who's in her 80s. um, And it was funny because my, it was actually with my aunt and uncle that we were having the conversation with who, you know, they're in their late 40s, early 50s who could quite easily have an excuse to not be um, educated, but they're very liberal and aware and socially conscious, which is really great. But we were having a conversation about a family member of ours that's transitioning from male to female. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about how there are multiple genders. And my grandma, very, you know, in her mind, innocently went, well, how many genders are there? There's only two. And, you know, that's that's where her education on the topic has never gone past, you know. It certainly wasn't when I was growing up taught that there were more than two genders. And I remember, you know, as I kind of got older, like, okay, well, there's straight, gay and lesbian. But there was never any conversation about pansexual or queer or asexual or transgender like so I think our generation is quite lucky that we've grown up in an age where there's social media and television programs and movies are are including characters that include people that are you know not just straight or remember when it was really taboo that if there was a gay character and Mm -hmm. now we've had incredible shows like Transparent and you know all of those amazing progressive yeah and they're representing all types of people but I remember in this conversation you know it was really sort of a meeting of the generations you know when she said well how many genders are there there's only two And, and in her mind she just didn't expect us to go well I mean if you break it down like with you know non-binary and non-conforming you know there's probably like 12 or something like that I remember reading the National Geographic episode uh, excuse me the the magazine that was you know based on gender and they did lay out as of now all of the different types of gender that people can identify as and it was such a shock to her she'd just never ever been exposed to that way of thinking yeah that level of awareness Mm -hmm. in that generation you know what's really interesting you bring that up is uh, I read recently that the Native Americans actually classify and, and I don't know the number but that we they categorized multitudes of genders. Yes, I read something like that yeah. about that too. I have a book called The Wisdom of the Native Americans. Yes. And they talk about, the, the only ones that I read about were the, the male, female, and then the two spirits. Two spirits, but there's, I think, I don't, I don't want to say the number because... You know, I, I don't want to, to spread misinformation, mm-hmm. but I do believe that it's, it is above 10. Wow. And I found that quite fascinating. And if you think about us, like, right, we are, we are sentient beings, you know, or spiritual beings within an encasement or a quote unquote vessel, which is our body. Mm-hmm. And we, every single person possesses male and female energy. Right. So in a sense, we do embody two spirits. We have two spirits and one. We have masculine, feminine, and everyone kind of floats between those mm-hmm. energies day by day, depending That's, on the yeah. environment and situations that come up. You know, if you ha- encounter a situation where, you know, your nurturing side, your your comforting side, your empathetic side comes on because of whatever circumstance you're facing in the moment, your feminine energy is rising. Mm-hmm. But whenever you come into um, something that may be threatening, and you feel defensive and you're kind of feeling your fight-flight mode, Um, and the masculine is kind of coming on the protector. Mm. We all encase that and embody that. Yeah, some people would call that the spectrum, Yeah, you know, that that people can move between. And, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, there's a spectrum for gender, there's a spectrum for sexuality, you know, everything. Everything is fluid. Yeah, everything. And I think if people realised with everything in life, politics, religion 
you know, everything that it's a spectrum. And if only people would allow themselves mm-hmm. to feel more fluid, that it's okay to, you know, just as the wind moves wherever it needs to go, it doesn't just always blow in the same direction. Mm-hmm. You know, I wonder how more, how much more liberated people would feel if they just allow themselves to, to be fluid. And, and when, um, you know, curiosity peaks mm-hmm. or when, mm-hmm. you know, something encounters your experience that you think oh that would be interesting to try but I think a lot of people if they were really honest with themselves have fantasies or um, thoughts or curiosities outside of their quote-unquote sexual orientation lane and most people because especially for cis straight men it has not been created to be a safe space for them to say oh, well, maybe I'm interested. Yeah, there's no getting out of that lane in today's society for them. So I think there's a lot of oppression, you know, but if people just allow themselves to feel like they could explore, then I wonder, you know, what would happen and how how much more peace and less anger Mm -hmm. because it literally is this pent-up sexual energy. It's kind of like that stereotype where a person that you know presented to the world is a cis straight male that really just goes off on this rampage at an openly gay man and it's like you know calling them derogatory names and just hounding them and you know everyone's like why are you so fixed on that and everyone goes oh i bet you they're closeted gay interesting how this pent up oppression and inability to move and flow comes out in this anger and hate towards people that are able to move and flow and and be who they are and live in their truth. I can see how that Mm self-repression, which is the reflection of the society that they're in, or it could be familial. I kind of have a little bit of hesitancy because I feel like generalizing that is, can be in a weird way reversed homophobia because it implies that this person doesn't know themselves. Mm-hmm. enough to determine their own sexuality but I do mm-hmm. I do see what you're saying there I'm are just, individuals to, who are like that but not everybody is yeah. that way of I course ex- yes expand that because I feel like a lot of people tend to fall on that default mm-hmm. and it comes from a good intention but then also it feels like it can be misplaced sure because I think my example I'll bring myself as an example I think it'll be easier so my own sexuality has evolved over the years mm-hmm. and it took me a long time to really understand where I am within that spectrum if you will and I've come to the acceptance of it's fluid and it to me that that lifted the barriers because I feel like these boxes that we're placed in you know what what rate what's our race ethnicity religion gender blah 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 blah. whenever you fill out these forms it feels very there's literally a box you have to check yeah and you know what's what's interesting is here in America I never knew how to fill those out Mm -hmm. because of my background Mm -hmm. because they don't have a box for Middle Eastern. Mm. They don't. A lot of the time they don't. It's African American, Hispanic, and then there's, I believe, Hispanic non-Latino, which uh, I don't quite understand why there's two. <laughs> yeah. Um, Asian, Pan, Pan Pacific, and I think... And Caucasian. And Caucasian, yeah. Those are usually the main ones. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, what am I people supposed to do? Mm. Well, how am I supposed to categorize myself? What did myself? you check with those boxes? I would leave it blank. 
Really? Yeah. yeah. As I'm like, oh, you don't even want to recognize me. Mm. So I'm not going to self-identify. Have you felt that way with your own sexuality at any point throughout life that you're not represented or or the, or society or even more like a specific group has not been interested in recognizing what you identify yeah. as? You know, I grew up in a very open and progressive but conservative home. Mm-hmm. That's interesting you say that because that's kind of an oxymoron. It is an oxymoron. So it's conservative in a sense where my father is uh, a self-made entrepreneur, very successful man, but his views in the world are pretty conservative. Mm -hmm. And my mother is a very passionate, progressive woman. However, she still holds some conservative ideals. And so we had this beautiful mix of traditionalism which I kind of equate with you know more conservative upbringing um but but there was an openness it wasn't rigid Mm -hmm. and you know I was a child that kind of explored my own boundaries just by way of being a child and growing up and hearing the word no and how no felt Mm -hmm. you know and I kind of sat with that at times I didn't know this this is all intuitive as a kid you don't process it the way we are and how we're intellectualizing it at you know 20 30 something um And so when I was young, because of the media, I see boy, girl, get married, Disney movies, um, movies in general, you don't really see gay storylines, but as a kid, you know, I haven't shared this publicly or a lot with a lot of people, but as a kid, my best friend at the time when we were young, at birthdays, I would close my eyes, you know, and everyone would say, make a wish, make a wish. And the wish that I would make was, I wish that she would turn into a boy so we can get married. Mm. That was a wish that I made when I was a kid. Yeah. And it was for like two, three years in a row where I wished that. Mm-hmm. And I had these thoughts that I, it felt as a kid, I'm like, I don't know if this is okay to, to feel. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's okay to think about. Is because, that because you were attracted to her, but it yeah. wasn't conceivable in your mind that you could just be attracted to her, I didn't know so what therefore she had to was. change... That's I didn't. So I didn't understand because it's you know I was six, six, seven. But you knew you had a pull. I had a pull. I had a draw. I mm-hmm. was. I was drawn to her, but also you know it was. It was like, is this a sister? No, I don't feel this way about my sister. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. feel this way about other friends of mine that were girls, but just her. Right. There's something very specific about her, mm-hmm. and. And then I just, I just kind of sat with that and buried it. Didn't think anything of it because I was a kid. And then as I got older. And I was a tomboy too. You know, I really, I love playing with the boys. I love being rough. I never played with dolls. I love building things. You can see, you know, this last two weeks, I'm having this massive build project at the house. I always liked working with my hands and I loved getting dirty. And I was always been like athletically minded and things that were very female presenting as a kid, I just wasn't interested in. And then when I got older in, in high school, that's when I would notice girls, but it was more of, oh, she's really beautiful. And then that was it. There wasn't this like strong desire like there was as a kid because hormones kicked in and I was like, boys, what's up, boys? And I was just very, you know. I was very boy crazy Yeah, I was, I was very younger. boy crazy. Very, very boy yeah. crazy. And they, they were equally responsive to me. So mm-hmm. so it feeling desired, right? I think we have to talk about desire because desire is coupled in with sexuality. Mm-hmm. Very much so. I think that they're... Mm-hmm. Um, this beautiful entanglement and dance because you can be attracted to someone and yet not feel desire. And I talk about this with my male friends a lot. Mm. They said, oh yeah, I can see that guy is attractive, but I don't have a desire Mm. 
to kiss them. I don't have a desire mm-hmm. to be with them, but I've, I could see that they're yes. attractive. I've had many conversations exactly on that topic where we talk about, you know, well, there's a, there's a romantic attraction. There's a platonic attraction. Mm-hmm. There's a familial attraction. You know, everybody's got that, that one or two like favorite cousin mm-hmm. or like your favorite family member. Like, okay, you take the group of your family and you, and you're all connected by blood and you've got that same like genetic blood connection, but there's people within your family that you just really connect to and you're drawn to and you desire to be in presence with them. So I think there's familial attraction, Mm -hmm. there's platonic attraction. Mm -hmm. Of course there is. You're friends with some people and you're friends with, you know, you're not friends with others. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as soon as a desire with a friendship goes, you move on, you're not friends with them. So there's people that I think you desire to be in presence with. Mm -hmm. And sexuality is... I think that platonic desire with a an additional layer, which is the obviously sexual. the sexual, you know, desire. Because, you know, of course there are people that are asexual that don't um, want to engage in in sexual activity. Of course, those people can still feel like familial and platonic yeah, desire. They just don't feel the the sexual yeah. urges. Yeah. But um, you know, most people require desire want intimacy mm-hmm. and of course intimacy can come in a lot of different forms. forms familial platonic work and then it comes down to having relationships and of course within that there's different layers that there are people that have one night stands that you know can walk away and go well I don't ever want to see that person again but it was a really great experience and we really connected and that was cool and there's people that you date casually and then hopefully there's there's your person that you find so there's there's layers within that of desire and intimacy and, and romance so I think it's I think you're right I think it's it's the desire and the pull mm-hmm. to have that experience and break that down even further you know a lot of people say well there's you know the biological urge we've got to have sex to keep the population going which of course there's a truth to that but I don't think it's just like as mechanical and scientific as that I think as people we've forgotten that my friend who's a therapist calls it being skin hungry people who who want to have it um you know because I'm very conscious of, of making sure that everybody's represented there are some people that don't want to be touched and don't desire intimacy but that for those who do and I am one of them I am a very tactile person you know physical touch is one of my love languages in giving and receiving and I remember when I was out living in LA and I was just working crazy hours and I lived by myself and I would I would occasionally go I literally have not been touched in days and that didn't necessarily mean sexual it just meant Mm -hmm. somebody squeezing your arm Mm -hmm. or giving you a hug and I would literally feel my skin going oh my god I like I just wish someone could be here to like give me a hug or just lay with me like it doesn't always it's like a dopamine deficiency. yeah and it's yeah. and it's really hard you know for people who are lonely it's exactly as you just said just like somebody could go to the doctor and say well you're iron deficient these are why you've got um you know the the symptoms of being anemic I think people have like an intimacy deficiency yeah well that's, it's funny I have it's not funny at all I'm I'm one of those people I'm like mm-hmm. you I think that's why we get along very well in our friendship is it's a very uh, expressively affectionate friendship and we're not mm-hmm. fearful or uncomfortable because we're both you know comfortable in our own sexuality and in our own skin and um and sharing like our appreciation for one another mm-hmm. um and I I have a friend in San Francisco who is a professional cuddler. Wow, tell me about that. I've yeah. never re- I've never really heard about that. Yeah, so uh he he gets Oh, it's a he. Okay. He, yeah, he, his name is well, 
I don't know if he'll be okay with me and saying And do you know, it. just to point out why I said, oh, that's a he, because still in our society, it's not really accepted or, or thought of that, that male Men. energies are the nurturers. So that's why that piqued my interest. Oh, yeah. No, no, they, they absolutely are. I, I actually really enjoy cuddling with my male friends. I feel safe. Um, I feel them melt. I feel their tension leave their body. And it is a platonic thing. We literally are just laying down and either my leg is draped over their leg or it is like almost like a spoon cuddle, but it's never sexual. I've never Mm -hmm. felt violated by their bodies betraying them and all of a sudden there is a sexual presence. I think it's it's two people that... That's interesting because, you know, just to use the, the movie when Harry met Sally you know the tagline is can men and women ever really just be friends without yeah, sex getting in the way absolutely. and I think there are people that that say well no you know of course you know if you're in bed with your platonic male friend like something's bound to happen or whatever you know so I think there's yeah. a lot of people think that's not possible you know I think I, I yes they do and I feel like that is another way of um, we're gonna go into such a deep like tangent if we go down this road, but I'll just go back. Like, go back to the cuddler. Dangling in there, <laughs> but I, I feel I feel that just like the boxes that we check to self-identify, yeah, it's, conforming. It's, a, it's conforming. It's conforming. It's form of colonialism, separating, mm-hmm. divisiveness, yeah. divide and conquer. You know, mm-hmm. that's a whole other conversation for another day. But uh, my friend, my yeah, my friend in San Francisco, he saw this need. He saw this this need, not only in the market, it's a really great business model, but more of a human need. You know, as we are going further along the rabbit hole as a society with technology, mm-hmm. we are being further and further separated from our tribal and communal ways. Everything's becoming hyper-individualistic. Yeah. No to one the sits point around that, the fire anymore. Not even that, but think about it. You don't have to leave your house to work anymore. Yeah. We're, we're here. We're in my home and working, yeah. you know? And... If we want to eat and we don't have anything in the fridge, you can Postmate something or you can get Uber Eats or whatever delivery service. If you need something from the store, you can get Amazon or what again, whatever. Yeah, you, you can don't get have everything to leave brought the house. to you. Mm. You see that impact and you lose this human connection. I worked on a, huh, I produced an event called Conscious Family Dinner. You're going to love the irony. Conscious family dinner, right? It is about an experience where people come together to share a meal and have this beautiful mini like activation and live transformational event. And there's conversations and guest speakers and, and different um, breakouts that you can do that kind of stimulate your mind and, and it's a soulfully enriching event. And I'm working on it with the founder, who's a brilliant man. And we are here at my house and we're planning and prepping and we're hungry. And so I didn't have time to get groceries and usually I would make snacks before, but I just didn't have the time that day. And I call in the restaurant and order over the phone and he just looks at me dumbfounded. Now I should say that there is a mini generational gap um, because I'm born earlier in the 80s and I think they're born, if not in the 90s, early 90s. Oh, they're younger than you. They're younger, yeah. I think they were born in the 90s. And um, and so he just immediately went on his phone, went on an app, ordered it, and bum bum. You know, he looked at me, he's like, why are you calling? I go, what are you talking about? He goes, why are you calling it in? Why don't you just Postmates it? That's the weirdest thing. Mm. And I said, well, I want to talk to the person. You know, it's it's a form of human contact. And, you know, making these active choices to stay in, in, as engaged as we can with the community. Um keeps us present because the more that we rely on our devices 
the more we are pulled and ripped away from being able to experience one another. Mm. And it's the same thing with sexuality. I believe now this generation is the most, not the most, I should say the least, um, sexually engaged and active. Mm. Well, when you look talking about, you know, social media and technology and, and having that separation, mm-hmm. you know, things like online dating and all the dating apps like Tinder and Hinge, mm-hmm. you can look at somebody's profile which is what they've chosen to present to the world mm-hmm. and it's usually you know very fun and and decide you know that people want others to see of themselves and you can literally make a decision going yeah you know swipe or or yes I I want to connect with you and you know I think this it's not fair because I think a lot of people give millennials a lot of hate and I mm-hmm. don't think that's fair um again that's a whole different topic but you know it is dubbed the hookup culture mm-hmm. and that no one's really dating anymore. There's no, There's hi, no my name you. is, I'd yeah. like to take on a date. Yes, great, I'll pick you up There's at no blank. Yeah. yeah, open the door for you, go out mm-hmm. for dinner, mm-hmm. do that for six months and then, you know, see what happens. There's no waiting for sex anymore, mm-hmm. you know? Not only is it, gosh, you know, you're sort of seen as holding out if you don't have sex till the third date, but... There's people that, you know, literally go on, go on Tinder or go on an app and say, yep, great, you come over. There's no emotional exchange. It's transactional, like yeah. everything else in modern society. It's, it's, it's a physical encounter. And, you know, who am I to judge somebody else? I'm not sitting here saying that that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that is something to be acknowledged that if, if you are doing that, there's no like time to have any exchange of the soul or emotion, you know, there's, there's, there's not really going to be that aspect to it. Um, well, it's very mechanical. Yeah. And sometimes maybe you just need a mechanical physical encounter, but I think sex can just be physical and sex can just be, um, thank you for the service type Mm -hmm. of thing, Mm -hmm. but really good sex is an, an exchange of energy. Do you know what sex stands for? No, what does it stand for? Exactly what you just said. Sexual energy exchange? Yep. Wow. That's really interesting. I, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And it's true. I mean, I, I mean, for me personally, I, I waited what society would seem to be quite a long time to have sex. You know, I waited until I was 22, mm-hmm. I think. So long ago, no. Um, and so just last week. Yeah, it was yesterday. <laughs> no, um, and it's funny because, uh, and just to go back to the start of why I was nervous, this is why I was nervous because you know I know my parents are going to listen to this, but let's be honest, I'm a grown woman, um, and I waited a, a quite long time, but I I I didn't have sex with somebody for the first time that was like the love of my life where I was in a relationship for me it was actually a one night stand Mm. um and I was really lucky because I ended up um you know dating the guy for about a year and a half afterwards which was just kind of like so it wasn't a one night stand but I intended it to be I see you know I went into it thinking well I'm never gonna see this person person again." again and the reason I did that is because I felt very at peace with him and comfortable and I thought I've put so much pressure on myself to the point where I was actually like really scared of it and mm-hmm. of just like because I was I, like you I was raised in a house that was a, a bit more uh, conservative my mum my dad never talked to me about sexuality there was not one conversation my dad is a phenomenal father and you know we're very very close but there's never been any talk of sexuality like he's never even told me about 
you know, relationship before my mum. There's no, there's no talk. Yeah. I had the opposite. Really? Yeah. My mom was telling me to wait. She, my mum was, she did tell me to wait. Yeah. (laughs) My dad looked at her and he said, well, how old were you when you, you know, first time? And he's like, I know I was this age. And he told me, he's like, you, you'll know when you're ready. Oh my God, my dad would never. And, uh, and I think and that I just... that's fascinating. And that's yeah. the other thing that I, I feel also is, um, not to cut you off, but also I think is something fascinating is that we equate um, the men as wanting to preserve, the men in our lives, the yes, fathers, the male yeah. figures. If you touch my daughter, I'll bring my shotgun. That they're trying to preserve this like And they don't do that with their sons. Thing. That's virginity, which is also repressive and sexist and controlling and all the other things. But because you're essentially stopping women from feeling sexual pleasure by exactly. making them think that and they that need to whole hold this. like purity of like don't you know you're not pure if you, if your hymen's not intact yeah. guess what my hymen broke when I was like 12 from horse, horse riding yeah like I was like what is this mine's from gymnastics on you the know? beam yeah so does that make me unpure like technically no. I'm, you know, if that if that's how you def- define virginity as, as an intact time, and well, guess what? You know, I lost it on the moors cantering when I was twelve. Like, I, I lost my purity when I was first taught the concept of war. Right. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. What, yeah, childhood. Like, when's that moment? Innocence goes exactly. when blank. Yeah. But yeah, there was never. My dad didn't talk to me about dating. He was fine to listen if I ever you know did bring something up like that there was never like a shutting down of it he just didn't bring anything to the table in that sort of way mm-hmm. my mum was very good about any questions I had oh, or wanted sweet. to talk about it you know but she definitely said you know you should try and wait for marriage um so I had had it in my head that like well you can't I can't it would be bad if I you know I shouldn't do it you know and I did I did have sexual encounters before then you know mm-hmm. I, I had a um, you know, a high school, school a sweetheart, but yeah, I waited in society's terms for quite a long time. And I remember when I finally, you know, decided that I was going to do it and, and it happened, I felt so much relief. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, what was the fuss about? Like, That's exactly how I felt. Not that it wasn't like great. And I was like, well, this wasn't anything, but it was just it like, it was just, okay. But no, but it, I mean, it was a, for me, it was a good experience and yeah. I feel very lucky because I am somebody that can look back and say, well, the first time was actually good and yeah. I enjoyed it. There yeah. was no like, oh, my first time was terrible and it was awkward and it hurt. Yeah. Like I had a really good experience, but it, it was the relief of the pressure of, well, you can let that go now. And even if I, ha- I remember thinking, well, if you don't want to have sex again until you meet the right person or whatever I still felt relieved that I'd done it that I'd sort of cast this shadow off from over my head I did get this sense of liberation of of okay I've done it now the fear is gone I can sort of sleep with whoever I want to and have the encounters that I want I I had you know a couple of years in LA where that was my mindset and then I fell in love and really fell in love and thought that you know this this guy was going to be my husband and we were going to have children and sex with him was I was just like whoa this is how it's supposed to be Mm -hmm. what I thought was good before you know what I you know thought was exciting and and I would get butterflies in my stomach and it was like so you know fun and liberating once I fell in love and started and I know some people hate this phrase, but started making love instead of just having sex. Yeah. It was a game changer. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting that, you know, I'm no longer in that relationship anymore, but I haven't, I, I just made a decision. I was like, 
mm, the casual sex or the what used to be a silver lining just that spark isn't there anymore for me and that's not to say that I'll never have you know meet somebody and have an encounter like that again but just I remember thinking gosh I've like just you're it like, felt like I've had caviar. I can't go back to like canned yeah. tuna. That's a really horrible and weird, like, you know, example. But that's kind of how it felt. It's like, you know, I went to staying in the five star, you know, Ritz Carlton. I can't go back to Motel 6 now. It would just be such like a letdown. That's how it felt. Well, it's almost like you had a very conscious experience. Yeah. You're very attuned to how you felt. And, yeah. and it's. You know, it's, it is the most privileged form of affection and appreciation mm. for another person. Yeah, if somebody lets you into that realm and that space. In their body. Yeah. It's a very, it's a very personal thing. It is, it's very, it's amazing because there's such a extraordinarily thin line between having an intimate, safe, mutually pleasurable experience and and violation or somebody feeling violated like you have to be to have good sex and when I say good sex I mean that doesn't have to yeah and that can be a one night stand that could be a one-time encounter but for for two people to walk away saying I enjoyed that I felt safe I walked Mm -hmm. away feeling happy you have Mm -hmm. got to be so present in your mind and conscious because one wrong move or one wrong look or one you know piece of bad attitude or or a comment can turn the situation so quickly into somebody not feeling safe into feeling violated or trapped and so I think for good sex whether that's a long-term relationship a marriage casual dating or a one-night stand or even with yourself Mm -hmm. you know you've got to be really conscious and present and honest yeah you really have to be honest with yourself and you know I like you I was called many things I was I'm usually called prude which is very really? interesting because I'm a very sexually expressive person yeah you're surprised by it right because I'm I so am. open and who's who said that to you many people people that you've been in an exper- in an encounter people, with or college everyone in college called me a prude because because why because I was in you know sorority and I'd go to fraternity parties and I, I didn't drink and it wasn't because I had any kind of judgment around it or had a bad experience it was just education worked in my favor mm. you know when I was a freshman my very first semester I took a, a course on psychology and I learned that the brain doesn't stop developing until 25 and we learned how much one drink of alcohol affects the brain mm. and I was very um you know, I, I took that education to heart and I decided that, you know, I'll wait till I'm 21. I'll see, I don't want to break the law. Um, and, you know, you also hear stories about just like college girls and, and the realities of how, you know, one in three are assaulted on college campuses in the United mm. States. And, so, and if you were drunk, it must have been your fault. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a whole victim-shaming side to that and, you know, the current administration. Mm-hmm. Is, but if you didn't want to be raped, you shouldn't have been drinking. Or you shouldn't have been wearing that, or you should, right. should, should. Um, and that's another conversation for another day. But, you know, I think those two things coupled together, um, you know, I just made a... Uh, what I look back on now is the ultimate self-commitment and self-expression of love. 
because I didn't want to do something that would hurt my body because I valued my brain and I'm here in college to expand my mind and learn so I can invest in myself and my future self. So why would I do something that would poison that? And it is poison. Mm. A lot of people don't think that way. Right, I know. I'm a nerd that way. But because you didn't want to do the typical drinking, hooking up thing, people yeah. called you a prude. Called me a prude. And also, you know, I was at... I, I, I Even though I explored... Um, my sexuality at a younger age and I lost my virginity at 16 with my boyfriend, it was still always with a a committed partner. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't because I felt any kind of other way around it. It was just I listened to my body and I didn't feel comfortable. Isn't it interesting how you're like damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you don't have sex, yes. (laughs) The life of a modern woman. If you don't have sex and you're not hooking up or whatever, you're a prude. If you have sex, you're a slut. And if you and if you do it, you're a suck. There's that Casey Musgrave song. Um, is it called "Follow Your Arrow"? And it says, you know, everything is like exactly based on the damned if you do. You know, if yeah. you if you can't lose the weight, then you're too fat, and and if you're too skinny, you know, you must be on cocaine. And you know, if you're mm-hmm. if you're damned if you do, you're damned. If you do. It's a fun, it's a great song, you know, about that subject that you can't win either way, which is really brilliant. You know why? That is the gift of freedom. Right. Because if you're screwed either direction... Literally. Then you might as well screw yourself. Right. Which means just do what it is that brings you joy. Yeah. You know, the, the best thing I think that, that we can do in a modern day is is just kind of reflect on how things sit in your body. Mm-hmm. You know, before any kind of experience, even if you're you're curious you know if there's anyone listening that's curious about you know I've had these thoughts I've had these feelings but I'm scared or you know my god what will people people think of me right but if you kind of mentally just kind of close your eyes take a deep breath and almost it's like you take an eraser and you just kind of erase everything around except you you know kind of block out other perspectives and thoughts and and ideations of what Mm -hmm. you would be like if you did this how does it feel in your body? Mm-hmm. Do you feel lighter? Do you feel excitement? Do your shoulders tense up and go towards your ears? You know, if people just really do an internal check-in, your body's really wise. Yeah, like a body scan. Yeah, it's it's really wise. And it knows things before you even know. Mm. Yeah. That's the most brilliant thing about it because we have the gift of our intuition. Yeah. And we actually have three brains. In our body, people don't know this, but we actually have three brains. Tell us. The, Tell us about the it. The brain in our head, the brain that we all identify as a brain. Mm-hmm. Our heart is actually another brain, and our gut is our third brain. Wow. So if you break it down to a physiological and biological sense, strip away the spirituality, that's fine. If you're a scientist, an atheist, and an agnostic, that take all, strip all that away. If you just go from, from a scientific standpoint, you have three points in your body. Mm-hmm that communicate with one another. Yeah. And you, it may start in your head. You might start to overthink, get into like a little bit of an anxious spell and, um, and, and that's something to pay attention to because there was a trigger. Mm. Something got you into that state. Something shifted your state, right? Or your heart starts beating faster. Is it an excitement or is it nerves? Is it, oh my God, I don't that feel adrenaline safe. adrenaline rush. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't feel safe. Something something could be blocking your heart. Or do you feel your heart closed off? Do you notice your shoulders dipping forward, almost like protecting your heart? Or do you feel in your gut? Do you have butterflies? Is it exciting, yummy? Like, oh my gosh, this is going to be fun. Or is it like, oh my God, I don't think I want to do this. You know, it's very distinct feelings. And you, when you have sexual experiences, 
um, whether it's for the first time or if this is for the 20th time, uh, your body's going to let you know. Mm-hmm. And when your body's in an excited, looking forward to, happy state. You're open. Not only open, but and you're more receptive, mm-hmm. but your body is preparing for this experience. With, with those who have you know, male genitalia, it will definitely show. For, for women, we will start to get wet. So your, our bodies physiologically prepare for the experience. Mm-hmm. And there are times where I've had partners and, you know, my mind's like, oh yeah, I'm so into this. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, my body's not responding the way that it normally does. Mm-hmm. What is, what's up with that? Right. Hold on a minute. Like, let me just, and, I, and I'll, I'll communicate. I'm like, you know, can I just have a sec? Everything okay? Yeah, everything's okay. Like, I'm really into it and I'm really into you, but my body's not responding, so let me see what's going on, you know? And they'll look at me like, what the fuck did you just say? Like, they'll look at me like I'm crazy. And I was like, no, just give me a second. Something's off and I just don't know yet. It's not in my awareness. It could be subconscious. Mm. Now, it could be something because I personally am a survivor, so there's a little bit of a layered component to some sexual trauma. So there is a bit of a check-in to do, like, is my body interpreting this as a threat? Mm-hmm. And then I need to just kind of have an internal dialogue and let it know like we're okay. Yeah. You know, this this situation might trigger something from the past that happened that it wasn't okay. Mm. Or do I really want this? Mm-hmm. Am I convincing myself that this is something that I want? Mm-hmm. Am I really doing this for myself or am I doing this to please this other person? Yeah. Right? And is it am, am I committing an act of self-betrayal? Mm-hmm. So sexuality isn't just this broad scope of who our partners are and how they show up and A, what they look like, what their gender is, blah, 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 blah. What type of sex are we having? Is this homosexual or is this heterosexual or blah, blah, blah. It's it's also our relationship with ourselves. Mm. Um, so it's much more expansive. Yeah. Than I think it's interesting that you brought up, you know, the, the topic of being a survivor because as we said, you know, one in three women are sexually assaulted mm-hmm. and I'm terribly sorry that I don't know the statistic for men but you know I want to make sure that it's it's said that men are survivors too I think it's one in six of reports yeah and of course that's that's just what's being reported there's you know lots of situations that don't ever get spoken about and and again it's not safe for men to come forward and say Mm -hmm. yeah I was raped as a little boy or Mm -hmm. or I was molested or pressured into having sex with somebody that I didn't want to Mm -hmm. you know people never give ideas to the thought that uh uh um you know, a woman can can pressure or force a man into a sexual experience that they don't want to be a part of, or or maybe it's not even like physically forcing them, but it's so ingrained that they can't say no or that they can't be vulnerable or say, actually, that's not what I want. You know, men are painted to be these like, people say this phrase a lot and I don't know quite how I feel about it, but that to have sex, men need a place and women need a reason. And it really paints that, yeah. That's, it's yeah, weird, that's right? Icky. And and it paints men as as this picture of they're just this raging sex machine all the time. That's not true. And they can have an erection whenever they can have sex. They don't and there's no need for any other reason but just somebody who's willing <laughs> and a place to do it. Great. Yeah. And that that completely strips away men's sensuality, vulnerability, the desire for intimacy, the fact that they have an intellectual side to them, that they have an emotional and spiritual side to them. And self-control. Right. 
and not even self-control not that like oh well I can't do it right now so I have to not but just that maybe in that moment they don't want to like when we think you know when we see it in movies and we hear the vast majority of stories it's you know of of a of a partnership where one person's wanting to have sex and the other person's you know frustrated because they don't right. it's always painted as the woman, woman who doesn't want right. to it's not and true. If, you know of course there are situations like that but there are also situations where men don't want to have sex yeah, my partners in the past have been in situations in in times where you know i'm i'm when i'm in a relationship i'm quite hypersexual um i have a very like strong libido and not everybody's going to be on your same frequency. Or at the same time. And at the same time. Or, and yeah. there's plenty of times where, where they're just like, babe, you know, I, re- I know that you really want to, but I'm just not feeling it today. I'm like, okay. Mm. You know? Yeah. Um, and by the way, men fake orgasms too. Not just women. How can a man f- fake a physical orgasm though? Because a, a woman's, I think, is easier to fake with like, you know, vocal expression, but... Oh, but you have contractions, vaginal contractions. Yes, but a man's, uh, you know, orgasm is is literally mm -hmm. a physical, you can't really, how, how, explain to me, how, how does a man fake that? Um, they just do. It, it, are you talking about like how you don't see the semen and all that? I believe there was one, there was one encounter, I think, I have a feeling there was some form of performance anxiety, Mm um, been experienced, but you know, there, there is pre-cum, so it's not like there isn't anything in the condom, but yeah, there wasn't a considerable amount. And this is a partner that I've been with many, many times. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I've been able to kind of gauge their body and read and, you know, not every orgasm is the same. There are some orgasms that are much stronger. Um, some not depending also on their, uh, testes production. So depending on what they eat, um, their level of health and exercise, how frequent they have a release, how often they have a release privately or with a partner. The the amount that can come out is is vast. Right. So why do you think either that particular partner or just men in general would fake it? Performance anxiety I think, or I just mean, wanting it to be over? Same same reason that women do. Yeah. Um I think it's either they're not enjoying the sexual experience and they either feel like they can't be honest with their partner, or they don't want to hurt their partner's feelings. Mm-hmm. Um I think that there is a huge emotional component. They could be under stress, mm-hmm. uh life stress, work stress, romantic stress. Mm-hmm. Um and they don't feel comfortable being vulnerable. Yeah. There's no real space within our sexual society now and of course there are lots of people who you know are in a really healthy relationship or or partnership but you know with things like ed you know erectile dysfunction there's 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 so much shame around it that it's my fault or you know for the partner what does it mean they're not attracted to me yeah we internalize it it might just be that they're tired or they've had too much alcohol or they're stressed or you know their mind's not in it or that you know they're not turned on yeah or they're having a body scan and they've decided oh something's not right you know it's it's just interesting um god forbid a man doesn't want a woman right and but i think it's i mean it's natural yeah men and women you know or, or just people and and we're you know streamlining saying men and women but um you know women are you know if you don't want to have sex you're you know, prude or whatever. And if men don't want to have sex, they must be weird or whatever. You know, it's just so like pressured on, Mm -hmm. you know, and that goes back to, you know, olden times or medieval times where, you know, it was just like, you watch things like Game of Thrones, you know, that, that show where, you know, you just literally see that 
rape was just normal. Like men just take women whenever they want because there was no conscious awareness of, of these things. different than today. Yeah. It's but really these, not. you know, these, uh, these emotions were not, um, really held mm-hmm. in high esteem or, or these vulnerabilities. And I think those are the, you know, sorts of things that we don't talk about in society. You know, we, we talk about, or it's socially acceptable in terms of talking about sex to talk about, or oh, I hooked up last night or whatever, but there's no, you know, you don't go to a bar and, and sit and, and openly have a conversation with people about topics like masturbation or erectile dysfunction or fertility issues, like people who are using sex to try and get pregnant, like these really heavy hitting topics that people go through, you know, and it's weird because as you've been talking, I've been like, assessing myself I've, I, there's there was a couple of moments where I've gone oh god like, like this is um <laughs> when you said the word pre-cum I'm like oh god like don't say that and then I thought why why, why? It's, it's, a, it's just like everybody you know. who's ever had sex and guess what everyone who got here came you know or arrived on this planet through you know a man ejaculating nobody can exist without it you know whether you know you were an IVF baby literally but I just felt like so oh my god no don't say that but then I thought hold on a second Jess of course you know you can talk (laughs) about that but that just goes to show you know I'm not um escaping from those social you know conformities of going oh god don't talk about it you know but all these things you know people go through Mm -hmm. and and you know, not everybody um, is affected by all of them, but these, you know, these these topics, everybody is impacted with in some way, whether it's even you just know somebody who's going through it and nobody talks about them. Well, you know what's funny too is I just thought about the history of sexuality from an anthropological standpoint. So if we kind of take our little, you know, time machine back to ancient Grecian times in, you know, during the Roman Empire, you had these aristocrats that would have these lavish parties with overflowing wine and grapes and beautiful naked bodies and there were orgies and everybody was having sex with everybody. You had women on women, you had men on men, you had women on men on women on men, 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 women. It was just this beautiful, very expressive, free sex party Mm. and now I bet you the you know most people's um reaction or first thought to hearing you know something like that is going oh well that's devious or that's wrong and you know overindulgent yeah and there's nothing wrong with if you're saying that's wrong for me and I wouldn't want to be a part of that what makes it wrong though maybe it's just not for me right let's well wrong for me being as in that's not for me yeah um you know but I think we're just so wrapped into this mindset of, of it's hard to it's hard to think about that being like an acceptable normal thing, you know, and that's just because of what we've been taught. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine if Washington D.C. and Congress, if they just had these types of parties? They do. They absolutely do. Right, right. But 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 I mean with each other. You know what I mean? Because you're hearing of all these, well, these senators you, and Congress yeah. people that are having you know these extramarital affairs. But I think there are things like group sex and and orgies within places but, like but Washington D.C. It's it's vilified. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So if you it's know. celebratory like how it used to be, imagine what a different world we mm-hmm. would be. 
Well, then, you know, in comes things like religion and, and you know, old... Oh, girl, don't get me started on that. Well, we don't, we, you know, we don't have time <laughs> no, for all of that. Don't. But, you know, there's religious texts that, that clear, you know, it clearly states, take Christianity, for example, in the Bible. And people use this all the time to, to justify things that, you know, sex was between, a, and they didn't use this language, but it's what they meant, a cis man and a cis woman, and it's supposed to be in the confines of marriage, and that is where sexuality stops. It says who, right? Because that's how we interpret the Bible. Mm-hmm. So think about that for a second, because it's all interpretation. I'm not saying I no, no, think no, no, that. I know. No, but, but I'm just saying that is in what general, people use as, as justification. I, didn't mean, I mean, you. I'm just saying, like, think about that for a second because mm-hmm. these are texts, old texts that were written by people, by men, just people in general, just humans. Mm-hmm. Humans, we err. But but I think perfect. that is another layer to it that the, it the Bible was you know written by men. Yeah, and in, and that in itself, when you have it through that one perspective, mm. is and already it's... negating an entire other. Mm-hmm. species yeah and and so you you have that and then you have interpretations mm. you know it's like and broken translations yeah, through different like languages broken telephone by the time it hits the fifth person mm-hmm. it's already a totally different phrase or sentence from when the first person started mm-hmm. so i mean that's my viewpoint on religion you know right. it's why why are we still formulating modern society off of texts that were written year thousands and thousands of years ago and have been you know the teachings and the meanings of it have been filtered through so many different brains and mouths and mm-hmm. why are we letting that be our blueprint mm-hmm. instead of listening to ourselves how would you like to see the world transform in terms of its sexuality if if you were to come back in a time machine a hundred years from now mm-hmm. how would you like to see the world behaving and interacting with each other in terms of sexuality I feel like a hundred years from now we're not even gonna have gender identity I think it's just gonna be very fluid mm-hmm. I think it's, it's going to be a lot more free with the direction that we're seeing society go in mm-hmm. and and the more that people kind of wake up and go through their awakening and, and elevation and consciousness and become mm-hmm. more mindful of how their subconscious is influencing their behavior and how a lot of it is you know programming from societal constructs and, and media and generational trauma and intergenerational trauma ancestral traumas you know how we're operating from hurt spaces and learned behavior versus acquiring knowledge Mm -hmm. but if I was in this time machine I think that um I hope that there isn't any form of barriers of expression of self Mm -hmm. and pleasure with others yeah I think I would like to see women having more empowered and respectful sexual encounters I think it would be great if young girls could be educated on things, you know, like when you have sexual education in school and they just talk to you about how you physically get pregnant and and what your period is like and how your body will change. There's no conversation of here's what intimacy is or here's how to get your pleasure. Mm -hmm. You know, when they talked about anatomy, there was no talk about the clitoris, which is a part of the body that literally has no function other than pleasure. Did you know that the breasts, the, the breast milk ducts, they actually look like flowers. Yes, I have seen. I've seen a picture of that. We don't. I mean, here in the states, I don't know what it was like in the UK, but here in the states, that was not part of our anatomy of women. Right. That's how much shame there is around a nipple. Right. Which is the strangest thing because that is literally how we feed life, mm-hmm. and men have nipples too. Right. Still don't know what the function is, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, just just that alone, the form of censorship that mm-hmm. there is about repressing yeah. women's sexuality, and then also. Also, we're depriving partners of women mm-hmm. from 
teaching them how to please them. And I think we, we absolutely cannot escape talking about sexuality without bringing the topic of consent mm. and respect. Yes. When I say respectful encounter, you know, empowered encounters, that's, that's what I mean. You know, women who are educated from a young age, mm-hmm. um, you know, from their mothers, from, you know, really progressive teachers and talking with their friends and having a really good sense of their own body, their own sexuality, the freedom. I just think it would be so amazing to have a world where, you know, women can walk through the world saying, I want to explore, I want to figure out who I am and having a safe place to do that in. And and also, you know, going back to the topic of, of not wanting to have sex or, or feeling like, you know, you want to say no, that that answer is respected. Even if you're in the middle of sex and you change your mind, that's yeah. okay. Yeah. And, if, and if it continues, that's rape. Exactly. You know, it's it's such a fine line. Yeah. Um, and I know that, and I just want to tell all the men that are listening, I completely hold space and sympathize the place that you are in right now and how anxious everybody is around feeling like, oh my God, was I a predator at one point? Was I, yeah. did I cross the line? Did I, did, what's you know? predatory and what's yeah, just like I don't want, flirting? I and... don't want her to perceive me as mm-hmm. somebody who's rapey or does this, you know, um, I, I really sympathize with men right now because I can see how that's so overwhelming mm-hmm. because I was, impacted, and for women too, I was impacted by the magnitude of the me too movement mm. because I walked through life thinking that, you know, there's a small amount of people that had the experiences that I've had, you know, not that there's a large amount and I can't begin to tell you how comforting mm. it felt. And at the same time was one of the most horrific things to see. Well, it's really traumatizing for a lot of people. Well, I think it was it was more of, it was comforting because I'm like, oh, I'm not the only one. Mm. Me too. Yeah. The words, me me too. Like, I this yeah. happened to me too. But then when I saw that it was just about every single woman and, and some men who were brave enough to say it in mm. my life say me too, it was heartbreaking. It was very heavy. I and mean, I what think a betrayal. It, yeah, it's interesting how, you know, you said, and I, and I share those feelings too, um, of, you know, it's a, it is a difficult time for men. And there's a lot of people who go, oh, well, it's, it's a hard time for men. Well, guess what? It's been a they hard join the club, millennial right? for yeah, women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, I get both sides of that story. But it's, um, I think a lot of men did think that, was, well, well, was I, you know, predatory before men reach out to me and and i think a lot of women and i also thought this myself as oh did i like really just brush over that was that a situation that i shouldn't have been talked to like that or treated like that or or that wasn't okay so i think it was really triggering and traumatizing for everybody it was really a reflective time to look back at your own experience and and you know rethink some things yeah and and i think um, what was really interesting was just seeing the, how the conversation has evolved, you know, it was celebrated and then it was vilified and then it was celebrated and then there was anger. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that there is a, a healing moment on a global scale yeah. on how we treat each other, not just, you know, men, women, cis, cisgendered, but, but in general. And for, cause we've mentioned it several times for anybody who doesn't know what cis means, which is the spelling C I S that means a person who identifies with the gender, with the anatomy that they were born with. So as a 
woman who is was born with a vagina I identify as a woman I would be a cis woman so Mm -hmm. when we say non-cis or non-conforming those that's you know reserved for people who don't identify with maybe the gender that they or the anatomy that they were born with so just you know for some awareness for people to understand what that means Mm -hmm. it's interesting I had um a uh, a friend who I I was going through a situation at work where my boss said something that was was inappropriate you know and lovely guy and I really think when I when I brought it up was quite horrified and it was just the fact that they really really didn't know better and that's not me making an excuse it was just a miseducation and how I knew you know it was a good guy because when I made him aware he was like oh my god you know Mm -hmm. I didn't um but this friend of mine who was actually in in the room when it happened you know who's who's a guy said oh don't give me all that me too bullshit Mm. and what's so interesting and I, and I love this person, so I really and I know him know him enough to like really understand what it's coming from. He's a major sexual abuse survivor, mm. like big time. And he really just in that moment was so separated from that part of himself, mm-hmm. you know, or disconnected, couldn't see like the irony behind it. But I wanted, and I just didn't because it wasn't the right time to like call him out or start the conversation. But I just thought, wow, you're really so not through that experience that Mm -hmm. you can't even recognize that you are also part of the Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. And that could be for a plethora of reasons of of not connecting to that part of himself, you know, didn't didn't feel safe, couldn't go back and face the trauma, you know. Um I I know I've had situations in my in my past where I've been disrespected or, you know, touched inappropriately. Mm -hmm. Definitely some some sexual mistreatment. Mm but I've never been raped or like assaulted. Mm-hmm. But so it was just interesting for someone like him, you know, who who absolutely was all of those things to a really, really horrific level. Mm. It was interesting how he was sort of belittling me for my experience. And it wasn't like, oh, don't give me that Me Too movement. My story is worse than yours. Right. It was that he was disregarding the whole movement. Okay. Yeah. And I think that just goes to show that a lot of people really just have a, a a difficult time connecting with those parts of their story because it's a really hard thing to face mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of people I unfortunately um, know a lot of people that are victims of rape and sexual assault uh, molestation from when they were children mm-hmm. and they have had a, a, a difficult time in their sexual journeys mm-hmm. that's something I think people need to be aware of that if you're having an encounter with someone you you know not that you have to handle everybody with delicate white gloves but you have to remember that there might be when people say no or their bodies aren't responding or or There's they get triggered reason. by something they might have gone through something that you have no idea about so sort of this macho we're gonna hook up and just have sex attitude I think is so unhealthy for for some people you know if you've got two partners that literally that's the mutual exchange yeah, but that's, that's go con- ahead that's consensual exchange. yeah go ahead but but there might be you always have to err on the side of caution and, and be respectful because there may be something that somebody's gone through that you don't know about that that gets triggered in mm-hmm. a sexual experience if it's unhealed Exactly. It's unhealed. And the other thing that I'd love to share too is, you know, I think because of movies and media and and the stories of sexual assault that's advertised, God, what a terrible word, but it is advertised when it's being told, is that it's violent. Mm. And Not all sexual assault my, cases are violent. M- majority of mine 
which is unfortunate and there's been multiple uh have been very subtle mm. it's it's a form of control and to strip somebody of their dignity and autonomy mm. is really you know what what the purveyors are are going for it's just a form of control yeah and a lot of my experiences have been very very subtle it ha- it's actually thank god you know i haven't had one be violent Mm -hmm. um and i've had a lot of friends where they were and it's terrible and Mm -hmm. i could see how you know that scar you know how deep that groove was left in in their life story yeah i think that's so important because i think you're right that most people think if they say well i've been raped and trigger warning you know for anybody but it's the visual that they get is being you know bent over and mm-hmm. and and violently violated and and, and physically a assaulted gun, a knife, something really scary where, where right. the threat of death is right. very present but if you're in an experience where you're in a bed with somebody in your underwear and they're and you're saying no I don't really want to have sex and they're going come they on pressure. come on and they're yeah. pulling your underwear down yeah. and they yeah. just go for it and you've they been manipulate. saying no yeah. that is also rape yeah. so I would really like to end this by saying, you know, for anybody who's had an experience where you felt, you might look back and you think, you don't feel good actually, about it. I think that might have been rape or I felt disrespected. This podcast is called Let's Be Honest. I would like to, you know, encourage people don't sit in silence in it. Find somebody that you trust in your life, whether that's a family member or a friend or you have a therapist. Um, or even if you're not ready to do that, Call but to journal, yeah. You know, I would go. I would first start with people that are trained, to because I know from my experience, you mm-hmm. know, I I was introduced into the world of being a survivor at a very young age. I was seven mm-hmm. for my first encounter, and so I should say violation, really. And I repressed those memories, and they continued until about twelve. Mm-hmm. Different different people, and I didn't realize what I went through, and I just kind of buried it deep, 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 deep down. Yeah. And it wasn't until I uh, heard an interview of an actress talk about how all of a sudden at 18 something snapped and she went, oh my God, I think this happened. And yeah. it was strange it's, because it's muscle her, memory. It, and it was strange because when she talked about how her awareness came back, like, whoa, where did that come from? Mm. That, I know people like that. That flipped the switch in, in me. Mm. And I went, whoa oh my god that's what that was Mm. people repressing because it's not safe it's kind of like a little puppy that hides in a cave and and doesn't come out until it feels you know safe there's there's no talk and I think people are doing it more you know and I remember my mum saying to me you know my mum was such a protector she was such a mama bear but she always said these are the places that people cannot touch you Mm-hmm. And if anybody does anything like this or something that you're not sure about or you feel uncertain about, mm-hmm. you, she always said to me, you can come and tell me and I will never be upset with you. Mm-hmm. She made it safe. So when I did have experiences when I was younger, I had, you know, a similar experience when I was, I don't know exactly how old I was, but maybe like five or six, mm-hmm. um, you know, that I, I don't particularly want to go into the details about. But I remember knowing it was okay to tell my mum and she, oh, you should say my mum wouldn't if somebody messes with me don't don't get in my mum's way you know she 
absolutely had my back I didn't get in trouble mm. there was no don't speak of this mm. she you know and I'm I know I'm so lucky because I have so many friends where they have told them don't you dare talk about that that can't be true right. that person could never do something Victim like that shaming and exactly then the, it re-traumatizes yeah so I would say we end this on reaffirming the need for consent and respect mm. and that if you've gone through something share don't sit in silence and and find that person or that group or organization that can be a support to you because sexual health whether it's physical protecting yourself against diseases and making sure you're physically safe but also you know emotional safety I think is is so important and I really hope to see a healthier sexual world for all of us to enjoy or for those who want to thank you so much for being on this podcast this was amazing I'm so proud of you for starting this oh thank you it's been a really amazing journey and I think it's I think it's great it's you know something that everybody can relate to because even if you've not been through something you know particularly that we're talking about you you might know somebody who has and it's just uh it's good to be honest and open so thank you so much for being here Thank you for joining us on this episode of Let's Be Honest. Be sure to follow us across social media using the tag Let's Be Honest, the podcast, and tune in next week for a very special episode. Bye.